Strictures on Abolitionism, Part C, from Bible Defense of Slavery by Josiah Priest. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Strictures on Abolitionism, Part C, National Colonization of the Free Black Population of the United States, Advocated by the Publishers. Speech of T. L. Klingman of North Carolina. Quote, Sir, the force and extent of the present anti-slavery movement of the North is not understood by the South. Until within the last few months, I had supposed that even if California and New Mexico should come in as free states, that agitation would subside so as to produce no further action. A few months' travel in the interior of the North has changed my opinion. Such is now the condition of public sentiment there, that the making of the Mexican territory all free, in any mode, would be regarded as an anti-slavery triumph, and would accelerate the general movement against us. It is not difficult to perceive how that state of public sentiment has been produced there. The old abolition societies have done a good deal to poison the popular mind. By circulating an immense number of inflammatory pamphlets, filled with all manner of falsehood and calumny against the South, its institutions, and its men, because there was no contradiction in that quarter, they had created a high degree of prejudice against us. As soon as it became probable that there would be an acquisition of territory, the question at once became a great practical one, and the politicians immediately took the matter in hand. With a view at once of strengthening the position, they seized upon this matter which the abolition societies, whose aid both parties courted in the struggle, had furnished from time to time, and diffused and strengthened it as much as possible, and thereby created an immense amount of hostility to southern institutions. Everything there contributes to this movement. Candidates are brought out by the caucus system, and if they fail to take that sectional ground which is deemed strongest there, they are at once discarded. The mode of nominating candidates, as well as of conducting the canvass, is destructive of anything like independence in the representative. They do not, as gentlemen often do in the South and West, take ground against the popular clamor, and sustain themselves by direct appeals to the intelligence and reason of their constituents. Almost the whole of the northern press cooperated in the movement, with the exception of the New York Herald, which, with its large circulation, published matter on both sides. And a few other liberal papers, everything favorable to the South, has been carefully excluded from the northern papers. By these combined efforts, a degree of feeling and prejudice has been gotten up against the South, which is most intense in all the interior. Continuing, quote, I was surprised last winter to hear a northern senator say that in the town in which he lived 
it would excite great astonishment if it were known that a northern lady would, at the time of the meeting of the two houses, walk up to the capital with a southern senator. That they had always been taught to consider southerners generally as being so coarse and ruffianly in manner that a lady would not trust herself in such a presence. This anecdote, sir, does not present too strong a picture of the condition of sentiment in the portions of the interior of the northern country. How far gentlemen on this floor are to be influenced in their action by such a state of opinion, I leave them to decide. Let no one, therefore, be consoled with the idea that this self-styled American anti-slavery society is wanting either in numbers or influence. It is a powerful combination of American and foreign talent and capital, composed of all sects and parties, of all castes, grades, and conditions of society, from the British lord to the factory operative, from the self-important free soiler to the ranting factionist of the Garrisonian school all alike infatuated with a principle of fanaticism which knows no bound, capable of wielding an influence which has already shaken our government from its center to its circumference, and which will be felt for ages to come. The principles involved in the organization of this faction are erroneous and inconsistent with the well-being of both master and slave. They were conceived in sin and brought forth in iniquity. They are in direct violation of the laws of God and man, of reason and revelation, being an unqualified warfare upon an institution wisely ordained by divine beneficence and sanctioned by the whole volume of human experience. It is alleged that the slaveholder is, of necessity, an unprincipled tyrant, nay, worse, an irreligious libertine, who regards neither the laws of God nor man, nor respects the established usages and customs of civilized society although he is but exercising a right which is guaranteed by the constitution of our common country and acting in conformity with a principle which was recognized as of old by our forefathers the framers of the organic law of the land those pure patriots of the revolution who acknowledged no other standard of justice than that contained in the sacred writings Yet is he denounced by these miserable factionists as the most corrupt, licentious, and profligate of all the sons of men. Regardless of the teachings of the inspired volume and human experience, corroborated by the evidence of their own senses, they have assumed that all men of every race, nation, tribe, and kindred under heaven are morally intellectually and physically equal and upon this wild and fallacious hypothesis they have based their false theory and maintained it with a zeal 
worthy of a good cause. The basis upon which their policy rests is the assumption that slavery is sinful and unprofitable. Having failed in their endeavors to convince the slaveholder that the former is true, and that he is bound by obligations the most sacred and uncompromising, to adopt immediate and unconditional emancipation, they have assumed the latter horn of the dilemma, and now contend that slavery is unprofitable, that it tends to impoverish the state and weaken the resources of the government. The means upon which they now rely to arrest the progress of slavery and curtail the powers and influence of the slave states is not the persuasion of the people of those states, but the numerical power of the free states acting through the federal government. Quote, the great principle upon which the northern movement rests, which is already adopted by most northern politicians, and to which they all seem likely to be driven by the force of the popular current there, if the question is unsettled till the next congressional election, is this, that the government of the United States must do nothing to sanction slavery, that it must, therefore, exclude it from the territories, that it must abolish it in the District of Columbia, forts and arsenals, and wherever it has jurisdiction. Some, too, carrying the principle to its extent, insist that the coasting slave trade and that between the states should be abolished, and also in custom houses, post offices, and the like. As these things all obviously rest on the same general dogma, it is clear that the yielding of one or more points would not check, but would merely accelerate the general movement to the end of the series. Before this end was reached, they would probably append, as a corollary, the principle that the president should not appoint a slaveholder to office. It is, sir, my deliberate judgment that, in the present temper of the public mind at the North, if the territorial question remains open till the next election, few, if any, gentlemen will get there from the free states that are not pledged to the full extent of the abolition platform. Close quote. Extract from a speech in Congress by T. L. Klingman of North Carolina. The following report of what Mr. Clay said is from the National Intelligencer. The remarks are brief, but to the point. Mr. Clay says, quote, I cannot allow this occasion to pass without calling to the attention of the Senate a fact connected with most of these petitions. Sir, the moment a prospect opens in this unhappy country of settling our differences, these disturbers of the peace, these abolitionists, put themselves in motion. The Jays, the Phillipses, and others in other quarters, and they establish a concerted and ramified plan of operations, and I want to expose it to the Senate. Here, sir, is a little bit of printed paper, holding up the petitions which had been delivered to him, scattered throughout the whole country. 
some of them found their way into my own state. I presented them the other day from Lewis County, printed, I have no doubt, at a common center, and dispersed throughout the country, in order to produce a common effect, and to make an impression on this body as if they were speaking the public sentiment in this country. Close quote. After having been called to order by Mr. Hale, on the ground that the petition had already been passed upon, and after some conversation, in which Mr. Clay stated the rules to be, that the senator might state the grounds of a motion before making it, and that he could put himself in order by concluding with a motion to refer the petitions, he proceeded as follows. Quote, well, sir, I do not know that I shall present any such motion, but I have a right to put myself in order by making such a motion, and I trust the honorable senator, who is listened to by myself with as much complacency as anybody, will not manifest any very great impatience at my calling the attention of the Senate to this ramified and concerted plan of the abolitionists to circulate their little bits of printed petitions adapted to all the varieties of cases, one for abolishing the slave trade, one for abolishing slavery in the District of Columbia, one for removing the seat of government from this district, in every shape and mode in which they can bring up the question of slavery. I trust that neither the senator nor his friends in the house or out of the house will manifest any great degree of impatience, while I call the attention of the senate and of the country to the fact, and show that the object is to manufacture a sort of public opinion, in order to make an impression upon us at a moment when we are endeavoring to heal the wounds of the country, and to reconcile its distracted and unhappy parts. Continuing quote. Sir, of all the bitterest enemies toward the unfortunate Negro race, there are none to compare with these abolitionist pretended friends of theirs, but who, like the Siamese twins, connect themselves with the Negro, or, like the centaur of old, mount not the back of a horse, but the back of the negro to ride themselves into power. In order to display a friendship, they feel only for themselves, and not for the negro race. No, sir, there are no worse enemies in the country of the negro race than these ultra-abolitionists. To what sorts of extremity they have not driven the slaveholding states in defense of their own rights, and guarding against those excesses to which they have a constant tendency. Close quote. With them, argument and sophistry and deception have become exhausted, and they now resort to force. The principle for which they at this time contend is the same as that upon which the society was originally organized, viz., the unqualified abolition of slavery, or the separation of the free from the slave states. At a Free Soil Convention held at Faneuil Hall, Boston, March 6, 1850, one of the orders, a genius named Wilson, said, quote, we ought to come up with frankness to the point, union or no union, peace or war, 
victory or no victory let us come up today and pledge ourselves that we will remain true to the principles we have adopted Close quote. we subjoin one other tribute to the same sentiment of disunion the following comment on the death of mr calhoun is from the new york anti-slavery standard the leading organ of the faction quote, the telegraph from washington brings the intelligence of the death of john caldwell calhoun the great champion of human bondage and the leader of that party in the republic which counted men as brutes and which demands the sacrifice of the rights of the many to the power of the few to his friends and equals mr calhoun has the reputation of having discharged well and nobly all the duties demanded by that relation but to his inferiors the servants of his household though he may have fed and clothed them well he has been from position and principle a cruel and heartless tyrant so far as he may have believed himself to be acting right he is deserving of respect in having acted up to his belief beyond that he is only to be regarded as one who was a sympathetic robber of the poorest of god's children better would it have been for the world had he never been born but having lived we regret in his death that he had not lived long enough to accomplish the object of his life the dissolution of the union of these states thus we discover that the only difference perceptible is in the name and in the modus operandi the society having become better organized and more numerous and therefore more dangerous the advocate of free solecism is no other than an improved disciple of the garrisonian school he who would exclude by his vote the slaveholder from a residence in the territories acquired by the common blood and treasure of the country would harbor and encourage the flying fugitive or contribute to a crusade against the legalized inalienable rights and constitutional privileges of the southern division of the union if not he is not consistent with himself as each is of a kindred nature and alike violations of the organic law of the land the friends of the south the southern rights and interests can no longer stand and survey with silent contempt and indignation the secret workings and machinations of these detestable factionists and disorganizers a well-organized system of opposition not to the established constitution and government under which we live to the great federal union which all should cherish and promote as invaluable and sacred but to their aggressions or rather a system of protection to southern interests and institutions ought to receive the unqualified sanction and support of every american citizen of every friend of humanity let then every citizen of the slaveholding states feel that he has a work to accomplish 
that he is called upon by every feeling of interest, patriotism, and philanthropy, to organize, in self-defense, not against the government or the union, but for the protection of his family and fireside, his property, and his most sacred rights, religious and political, against the midnight attacks and aggressions of an organized army of diabolical outlaws. Let him examine the ground upon which he stands, and the circumstances which surround him. Let him survey the length and the breadth, the huge and uncomely proportions of this hydra-headed monster of corruption, which threatens to swallow up the peace and prosperity, the property and privileges of the peaceful inhabitants of the southern division of this great confederacy. The northern political reformers have assumed to legislate, with respect to the domestic institutions and policy of the South, to interfere with the rights of property, as guaranteed by the Constitution of our common country. They propose to take from the slaveholder his slaves, which he has inherited from his ancestors, the honored dead, or purchased with his money, without remuneration or satisfaction, and substitute, in their stead, the refuse population of the prisons and almshouses of the old world, than which a greater curse could not be inflicted upon any people. Are the order-loving, chivalrous citizens of the South prepared for this exchange? Will they sit supinely inactive, whilst the system of wholesale robbery of this character is being committed in their midst, upon their own property, and in their own households. Let the future action of the South, upon the subject, give the answer. Let the people of the slave states be no longer divided amongst themselves. Let them forget all petty political differences, and upon this subject, no, no party. Let them, as a band of brothers, become united in the common defense. Let them say, with one voice, to all abolitionists, of whatever name, sect, or party, tamper with us no longer. Forbearance has ceased to be a virtue, and if civil commotions distract and divide us further, and our confederacy is dissolved, and our government subverted, the sin be upon your heads. The dissolution of the Union has been the favorite theme of these factionists from their earliest organization. Victory or disunion, peaceably if we can, but forcibly if we must, be estamped upon their banners. They were the fathers and propagators of this treasonable doctrine of a division of the states. They have advocated it in their periodical conventions, upon the forum in the social circle. The sacred desk, too, has been profaned by sentiments of this character from time immemorial, whilst their inflammatory publications have ceased not to herald them to the world upon every breeze. A base attempt has been made to shift the odium of this traitorous folly and madness to the South, 
and charge it upon the citizens of the slave states. Treason against the government, they now declare, is combined with the unpardonable sin of slavery. Fellow citizens, are you prepared for this? Do you plead guilty to the infamous charge? Is inconsistency to the Union, treason against the government, a sin of Southern origin? Were Arnold and Burr men of Southern birth and education? Let the history of the past give the answer. Let the action of the future seal it with the same blood which has ever flowed in the matchless profusion in the case of liberty, in the cause of humanity, in the cause of our common country. A call for a Southern Convention is proclaimed, a convention in which citizens of the slave-holding states may meet and deliberate as to the best manner of protecting their own domestic policy and institutions, of securing to themselves and posterity the inalienable rights and privileges guaranteed by the Constitution under which we live. Is there anything criminal, treasonable, or anti-republican in this? Abolitionists have assumed the right, from time immemorial, to hold conventions and deliberate, not in respect to their own domestic policy and institutions alone, but, consistency, precious jewel, in reference to the peculiar domestic policy and institutions of the South. The right to meet and deliberate respecting their own affairs has never been questioned. But what do we now hear? Disunion! Disunion! A convention for the purpose of dissolving the Union! Is the hue and cry of every abolition factionist and disorganizer throughout the length and breadth of the land. Fellow citizens of the slave-holding states, are you prepared to be thus outwitted, to be thus cheated out of your inalienable rights and privileges? A dissolution of the Union is undoubtedly the greatest calamity that could befall our hitherto happy and prosperous country. It is an event which no Christian patriot could ever contemplate for a moment, but with feelings of consternation and horror. It would be the signal for strife and contention, for anarchy and civil commotion, for blood and carnage amongst friends and brethren, amongst neighbors and fellow citizens. Quote, Thenceforth the American eagle would drop the olive branch of peace, and grasp only the arrows of war. The mountains that divide us would be the dark mountains of death, and the stream that flows between, like the waters of Egypt, would be turned into blood. The hand that writes the declaration of disunion, may it feel the blood curdle in its veins, and the tongue which reads it to the world, may it stiffen in the act. Close quote. All the great national, state, and individual interests of the country are opposed to disunion. The political and commercial relations of the states combine to show that their natural and only true policy is union. The geographical, 
that the god of nature never designed the territory of the north american continent to be like the grand divisions of the old world inhabited by different kingdoms nations and empires the great natural characteristics of the new world are on a grand and magnificent scale upon our northern boundary are the great lakes in magnitude and depth unequalled united in an indissoluble chain pouring their exhaustless fountains over the same stupendous cataract through the same channel in the bosom of the same great ocean at the extreme south the two great oceans flow well nigh together as if to blend their waves in one our mountains which rank among the most towering of the globe roll on in one unbroken chain from the polar to the torrid regions whilst our majestic rivers extend from centre to circumference interlocking their innumerable branches together as if in token of union to advocate disunion would be to mar the whole order and beauty of nature to subvert the laws of the material universe and to insult the wisdom of deity he who would harbor the inhuman sacrilegious thought let him be anathematized by heaven let him receive the mark of cain and be driven from the pale of civilized society to wander a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth let the constitution be preserved inviolate so long as it can be done in harmony with the spirit which brought it into being end of strictures on abolitionism part c